Well, just because like the industry and everyone who's like a music fan, it kind of just hits you and you're like, oh, wow, like this is it's progressing so rapidly and yeah, to the naked ear. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like another Drake song, right? Like yeah. you, you wouldn't really know. But the thing is, could it, we use the Drake song as the intro? Wing It Podcast, GooseDigital.com, episode 94. Who do we have? Kevin Butler. That's Michael Turksani. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, just us. Just us again. Although we do need to pull the team in again. I think we're, we're long overdue with a regular. We're missing a more diverse base of insights from our team. Yeah, but we got two, two of our main podcast people that used to be on the podcast with us more often are sick today. So oh, there's stuff going around. Yep. Um, all right. So 2024, we're towards the end of the first month in January, trying to figure out where we're at, um, unhinged. So we're looking back at the last few weeks. So what have we been up to? What have we been up to the last three weeks? Well, I think it's been interesting on the sales side. I guess if you want to start there, um, what we're seeing, and I've been talking with lots of other agencies and sort of other marketers just in, in totally different, um, verticals and categories and, it seems like the resounding, and again, we're seeing this too, like the resounding feedback is what looked like really strong pipelines and really full ones just haven't quite got going yet. Mm. And I, I don't think like these these opportunities are dead or anything like that, but like the pickup hasn't been immediate. Mm -hmm. And even speaking like with our sales team and other sales folks, it seems like this week, like the last real week, last full week of January is the first week that some of that activity started coming back from the holidays, which right. is, I guess, a little um, a little soft compared to what I was sort of expecting coming the end of December. I, I thought we were going to be like roaring back into the new year and all guns a-blazing. Yeah. And so far that hasn't been the case. So I guess we'll see now what does Feb and March look like as it relates to this quarter. I think there's sales kickoffs. We just got through a deal, smaller deal, but a, a very large organization, multinational organization that just – kind of pulled through yesterday or today. Um, yesterday? I can't remember. But they, they're still doing their kickoff. They're doing yeah. their kickoff next week. So, you know, definitely probably more of that that I've seen in any other year, just people kind of doing their kickoffs, you know, kind of still within the beginning part of January and not moving forward. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, we had the, the chance two weeks ago, I think, um, to go to Portland to do and participate as part of Acton's sales kickoff. And what, what kind of struck me is that um, theirs was reasonably early in January, yeah. but even then, like, just like, I think this is for a lot of organizations, the first year they've done the full SKO again. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have underestimated the, the impact of three, four, five days out of the office in terms of catch up beyond that. Cause like I'm following up with that Don and they're like, look, you know, I'm sorry. I'm still catching up to my, all the yeah. things I missed when I was gone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's partially to blame in all this too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's more people that we we're just talking about. We we're traveling at the beginning of the month and we saw some clients. You guys saw act on, um, Jen was here that same week. Know, we had other people coming out from Edmonton that, that same week to meet yep. with clients. So there was a lot that was pretty actually reasonably heavy early in the year on on initial client engagements mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah, I think it'll pick up soon. Um, we have like even like just for us, the last three days have been much 
more accelerated. Yeah. In a, in a good way, right? Yeah. Yeah, so we got that going on. We got a um, little bit of tweaks to sort of like our goal setting. You know, I think we, we, we went through that this year. So that's all done and out the door. Everybody's got kind of where they're, where our internal priorities are. Which... What, I, what I liked about that, it's not just kind of like your standard, take what you did last year and grow it by 30%. Like I think there's a lot more refinements to the particular areas we want to see growth in. Yeah. And a lot more definition around what those areas actually are, breaking them out in more detail and sort of more aligned around strategically, like what are we looking to do? And then what we do, which I think is a little different than a lot of other orgs, um, it's harder on the on the larger org scale is like when you're defining these KPIs, part of the definition is like, how do we report on this? Mm-hmm. How, what are the characteristics inside of CRM that you can be using to be like just absolutely certain that what those reports are pulling are right because we're going to base commissions and bonuses and ultimately understand our own performance based on these numbers. Yeah. So they got to be bulletproof. Yeah. Yeah. And we know we made some pretty big changes to the layout of of the organization last year with uh, promoting some, you know, some more accountability and responsibility into our directors. You know, that we've got a really strong account team and under chair and yeah, and the back end delivery and, and putting in some additional pillars there. And, um, you know, we're, we're not a big company, you know, 30 ish people, but getting to that stage where we're trying to double. So, you know, putting some of that, uh, that, I guess more formality around how yeah. everyone can plan and 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 know where they're they're sitting is a big deal. And then spending you know time on AI this quarter and and well, all throughout the year. But mm-hmm. you know where can we where can we continue to see what works and what is kind of still a little bit uh, ahead of the curve. And you know we've doubled down on OpenAI's products and made sure we've got team accounts there and we've got. A, like what a team account is, is the ability to have multiple users and share access to, to the GPTs that you customize and building yep. all those out for our customers and really doing a lot of refinement in that process and, and to some really good results, you know, some surprising results, not just, mm-hmm. you know, generating content, but um, analyzing data. And, you know, I think we were talking about how we went back and analyzed, you know, eight years of our sales and was able to do that over two hours it would have taken us way longer to, to oh, do and stuff I, like that you know? i'd like to actually comment on that because i think that was a really interesting one um certainly with the paid edition of gpt yeah um you were able to upload files and kind of have it do things based on what's in those files but some of the things um some like the prompts that you were giving you're saying hey create like a new row for this add up all the cells in that row or sorry a new column add up all the rows in blah 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 and as arcane as it sounds or archaic, um, you just can't do that very easily inside of a CRM. Yeah. Like I'm just, I was looking at what you were doing. I'm like to do that in Salesforce would have been a nightmare and it certainly would have taken way, way longer. And, um, yeah, you could have done some of that work inside of like a spreadsheet once you, um, pulled it all export out. it all out from Salesforce. But even then that would have been a pain too. Right. So yeah. I think some of those use cases I hadn't initially thought of for chat GPT, but I think there was kind of a cool exercise to see what it can actually do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does make you, you know, I, I don't recommend people uploading personally identifiable data in, into that system just yet. But, you know, when you've got a spreadsheet that just has, you know, numbers and yeah. salespeople's names and, you know, close dates and stuff like that, I think it gives you 
um, gave us the ability to kind of really pivot on stuff really quickly that we've never, that would be really a pain in the butt to do, which is why we've never done it before. Yeah. Like a good um, example of that. And even this would have been probably more difficult inside of just spreadsheet work was sort of articulating uh, or changing definitions around what we call like new business versus existing. If, you know, if this account group has, you know, got a closed op one inside of the last year, it's not new business anymore. Or it is. And we were kind of like changing things just to see what would that look like? That would have been a nightmare manually. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So it's still looking at that stuff. That's been uh, really solid. And, um, you know, there's a lot, a lot, I mean, it's just going to be insane. What, what, what it, this does for our industry, you know, I think, mm. um, and I, and I actually think that from, as a service provider, as we often say, being able to advise companies on how they can leverage this stuff is going to become something that, um, I think more and more, more and more smaller deals kind of evolve, you know, maybe call them quasi training deals or, mm. uh, consulting deals where, you know, we can take all the experience that we've had across hundreds of clients and wrestling with some of these tools and, uh, and not unlike we do for the map or for the marketing automation platforms, go to them and say, Hey, you know, here's five things that you could start doing inside your own marketing team. That'll just accelerate our customers adoptions of, of this stuff. Um, it's also kind of scary. I don't know if you listened to that Joe Rogan AI podcast. Did you, did you no, listen to that? No. You should listen to it. Uh, he did. It was sanctioned by him. But they did one, I think they made six, and they were with people that he'd never done a podcast with, like Drake and Donald Trump. And it was, it was actually done, I think, out of an agency. Um, it might have been an agency out of Australia that did it, but obviously trained it with the voices and then had two GPTs talking to each other to create the oh. scripts. But it's wild. I mean, like, after a while you it kind of gets it's not it's not as interesting you know there's things where it gets a little repetitive you might say how they kind of spin their wheels a bit on stuff but there's a lot of areas where i'm it shocks me the level of depth and insight that comes out of the ai you know drake talking about how um you know, why it's so important to have the human element in songwriting. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've got all these experiences and emotions and how could you ever replace that with AI? And then you've got Joe being like, but, but we did replace it with AI because there was an AI song, That's right. you know, for you and, and people liked it. And he's like, I know Joe, but it's still, you know, you have to realize that it's the passion and it's the energy. And it's just like, blow really, really was quite mind blowing when I was listening to it. So it's crazy. We're at the early days of all this stuff, and I think when you know what one talks about on the on, on the the Drake thing for a second, yeah. And what the song? Well, just because like the industry and everyone who's like a music fan, it kind of just hits you, and you're like, oh wow, like this is it's progressing so rapidly, and yeah, to the naked ear, yeah, it it, it sounds like another Drake song, right? Like yeah. you, you wouldn't really know, but the thing is, could it, we use the Drake song as the intro, harsh? Is it okay? Like can we do open, that? Open rights, or is well, I think you can do it for the first fifteen seconds or something. something like that. That's fine. But the the only reason it had pickup and like human level intrigue mm -hmm. was because a human being in Drake has gone and created this like this persona, this brand, this whole like you know, he's 
pretty much like a lifestyle at this point with clothing and restaurants, blah, blah, blah. Mm. So that's the only reason it got a pickup. If that was like named anything else and it didn't, you know, like if, oh, oh, if oh. real Drake didn't exist. Oh, like if care. it was, if it was like Kevin Butler yeah, and like, it was like, and that, and it was like, Oh, it's okay. I guess I heard that song was, yeah, wouldn't it got pick up because like nobody knows who you are. But that's a human element that is based yeah, yeah, off of yeah, it. No one yeah. talks about that, but yeah. it's scary on just a, a sonic level. Yeah. How much it sounds like it, it does sound like him. Yeah. Without oh, yeah. question. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So now we're talking about we we're, we're going to pivot into uh, you know I guess what we were sort of loosely calling the B two B marketing playbook. You know that um, that people have been using. And you know I I had a, a, a meeting with an executive uh, yesterday. We talked about part of part of what they're doing actually is a rethink on their business generally uh, in a number of different areas. But one of them being marketing, and that yeah, yeah they can't really keep doing what they that what they've been doing. And then we've heard other, we got back from, from Vancouver and we had had a very similar conversation with one of our longstanding clients about how they approach, you know, B2B lead generation, what then all this kind of stuff. And I've had a few other ones too, um, already in January and it's the same sort of thing. Yeah. So it sort of amounts to, Hey, let's get these, you know, lists and let's, and let's, you know, get some opt-ins or, or what we might call an op, an MQL and drive up our MQLs and score these leads and flip them over to sales. And, you know, sales is saying, Hey, we're calling all these people and they don't, you, you know, they're not going anywhere. And, you know, there was a long period of time where, where that was the playbook. I mean, if you were VC invested, I mean, that's what they wanted to see is how many MQLs and how many SQLs and how do you do that? You get downloads, you get opt-ins, you get webinar registrations and yeah. So, okay. This is a point of contention for me. It's a bone to pick. Is that, yeah, that's like the 2010, 2012 marketing playbook. But yeah, MQLs, um, it, it's really derived around like, have you been able to um, create or generate a lead that meets the basic buying criteria? But things have changed so much now. It's not about buying criteria. Now it's about engagement Mm -hmm. and actual need Mm -hmm. and i feel like b2b marketing was so immature all those years ago 10 12 maybe 15 years ago where we weren't thinking about like need or or intent Mm. and correlating levels of engagement and intent to say hey now this is actually ready for your time sure you being like the the salesperson The, the other thing is all those years ago buyers were nowhere near as sophisticated and what i mean is like they just weren't like preconditioned to search. They would still almost hang off everything like a Gartner or Forrester would say. Right. And now with the rise of things like community networking, like social media is arguably just as big in, in a work context as it is in, in like a social or friends context. Yeah. And that's really grown and evolved too. And, and people's desires to share their experiences, their knowledge yeah, it's has absolutely exploded in the last yeah. five years. So, now, when you think about the old school MQL and well, it turns out this is an organization in a vertical we target at a certain revenue size or employee size means like absolutely nothing. So sure. you're sitting here now and just out loud thinking like, oh, yeah, we're talking about MQLs. It's kind of a joke, right? Yeah. I also think that, you know, the whole approach of trying to come up with what you think may be valuable to your audience, like, uh, you know, here's a study on 
on a certain technology group or you know certain certain group of, of organizations using a piece of technology hey i could i think i need that because i'm considering that technology and then i go and i put my my name in to get the paper they get the white paper and i get a million phone calls from from salespeople. so what's kind of also happened is that that same b2b marketing playbook has been used on mass you know email like crazy sequences like crazy mm-hmm. Um, and, and not only the quality stuff, like maybe that would be an example of like a legit Forrester white paper that I, I may indeed still put my name in to get, cause that's, that's high enough value with all this other garbage that's gone out because of the tooling can, they can roll out, get a zoom info list, blast a million emails, put people through all kinds of sequences. And when you look at what actually is being presented to you, it's like, oh, this is no good at all. Right. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of AI, like the quality of like even pre AI explosion, the quality of ebooks in general has also decreased as more and more people try to replicate that playbook. Sure. And then you bring in AI and now people are just trying to create them out of willy nilly. Right. So you, you get, you get this also this other effect on the B2B marketing or sorry, on the B2B buyer. Uh, that's like, I'm not putting my name into that form. I'm not responding 100%. to an email. So like you've, you've got this combination of like, um, it was probably not the greatest strategy anyway to just annoy people that bought, that got your white paper. You know, yeah, you close yeah, some of them. But you could get away with it. But maybe you can get away with it yeah. to all of a sudden now the entire industry has been doing that to the point where like you've saturated it, which has now opened up the opportunity for if you're, if you're gating stuff now, it's just ridiculous, right? I think you should be providing, going back to what you're saying, I think there's two things that we should talk about. One, you know, what's considered valuable to what is considered a message. Like what's your message, right? Yeah. And maybe, maybe a third thing and maybe I'll start here mm-hmm. is I think the buying journeys have changed a lot too. Okay. And what I mean is uh, just to kind of finish the, the, the previous thought I had in that, like even 15 years ago, the only real way you could get data or, or like quality insights kind of thing would be either if you've got your forester membership, you get your seat and license and you can and drill you through them. Yeah. But most people don't. So then you're going to have to go and download it from a vendor who's paid for it. Yeah. They've got the syndication rights, et cetera. And so you do that. And because like even like B2B technology buying, especially in like in marketing and marketing like tools. Yeah. Um, the buyers weren't that mature from a process perspective. Um, and I always separate like IT has procurement jobs marketers have needs and they just go and like kind of buy things. And yeah. even like the e-commerce early days, right. In the sort of early and mid two thousands, like that's the same thing we saw there. And so as a result, buyers just didn't know where to go. So yeah. they're kind of trusting the sales reps of these vendors that they're talking to, yep. but they're not making informed decisions. And as a result, what they're doing is they're kind of not really practically understanding what these tools and technologies do and the challenges that they solve for. And then, so they get these things, these, these products, these platforms, and it doesn't really do what they thought it did. That's right. I mean, the sales rep said it could do it. And, you know, oh, how many times have we heard that? But yeah. now, I think the, the, so that's kind of like the old school buyer's journey, and I'm simplifying it, so that's not really fair, but we don't have all the time in the world. But now what's changed is, I think there's so much more information out there. Mm-hmm. There's like peer-led reviews, there's YouTube videos on almost any technology you can think of. Right. Like tutorials and the rise of sort of like expert consultants and things like that, who are, I'd say, more objective. Um, and people have just sharpened and got more like astute themselves in terms of buying and procurement where like you can't pull a fast one anymore and, and the buyers aren't even going to let that happen. So they're doing so much more of the research. 
before the level of intent and engagement perk up in the eyes or the dashboards of the vendors. Yeah. And so the, the sales cycles and the buying journey might be as long as it's always been, but it's, it's like reduced like a third now. Right. So that's the lead into now let's talk about how organizations and providers are actually going to create messaging that really lands because that's the next key, key thing here. Yeah. And I don't think, I think in the past, so, you know, we didn't have such saturation on social media networks when a lot of this, buy, that old school buying journey existed, right? It was like, you're doing email, you could probably get response from people if it was half decent back then. It's very difficult to do that now. Not that you can't, and I think we'll, we'll talk about that. But with the social networks being, you know, where we spend a lot of our time, it's where our energy goes. And if you're a B2B, let's just say LinkedIn right now, right, as mm -hmm. your main, it doesn't have to be, it could be other places too. But just let's just say LinkedIn for a minute. There's ways to get that message across that that isn't a white paper that's 15 pages long, right? Yeah. You might address a thing in your white paper that has to do with, you know, the total cost of ownership with owning some, you know, type of software platform that you solve for. And you can get away with doing that in a 15-second clever video about, you know, poking fun at at how uh, difficult it is to manage pricing across your retail environment or something, right? And then that right there is saying, oh, hey, that's cool. There, th I have that problem, but yeah. I did it in a 15-second short. I didn't write a 15-page oh, a you know, thing on it with all this research that nobody's going to read. My right? first year as a marketer, I remember writing a four-page case study on website personalization. Right. Four pages. Four now, like, you're lucky if that's two scrolling tiles on LinkedIn. Yeah, swipe, swipe. I got my personalization. It works, right? Yeah. Raise traffic, raise conversions, move on. Yeah. Four pages. I don't even know how I wrote four pages. Yeah. Yeah. Who's reading that? But you're right. Like, people's patience and, and willingness to invest that much time, like, they just don't need to now. They won't. Right. So I think on on the, you know, we can talk maybe about, about messaging piece, but I think on the value piece, a lot of people are still in this like self-serving mode of content creation. And what does that, what does that look like? It's like, I'm putting out there, I'm putting out content to make sales instead of putting out content that helps my audience get value or solve a problem that they might have. Right. So we're not obviously in the business of like, we're not here to not do deals, right? We have to do deals. But if you're putting out content that helps a customer through a problem, like, Hey, you know what, here's how you can plan your AI journey because you're probably going to need some AI tools, right? And, and, and it actually adds value. It's not a piece of junk, right? That simultaneously helps, right? That's why, that's why those contents do really well because it's the customers getting value and they're saying, Hey, I got that value from goose digital. Maybe I'll pass it along to somebody. Right. Yeah. Whereas in the past you're like, Oh, I'm going to gate that content. I'm not going to let anybody get access to that template unless they put an email address and now I'm going to hound them. And now yeah. you've seen a trend where like that's going down. So I think the value conversation has to change where it's like, we're not just going out there and like tooting our own horn. We're looking at, you know, what, what could we give, give to this community that would simultaneously get our brand out there, but would also help them solve something in their day to day. I think there's so many layers to that. And it's absolutely what's required and expected. It's just, the, it just makes more sense. Right. But I think there, there's like, there's a rise in, in competition across any software category or service category, right. there's uh, greater competition for budgets, whether it's directly or indirectly. Even now, there's more pressure on budgets to be as uh, efficient as possible. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, like 
I think buyers have just gotten tired of the old way of, of doing things, right? So now, it, and I've had like a bunch of sessions like this already this year is uh, I'm trying to really challenge the value props that we're going out with. Like, yes, that's, how, so this is messaging. Yeah, this is messaging for sure. And then I think we'll talk about, um, I think your word was the volumization yep. or the, or the blowing up of the message, yep. like in a distributive way. But the, to me, I'm, I'm challenging all my clients and, um, all the work that I'm kind of involved with to be, how do we go deeper than just surface level value props? It can't just be, Oh, we'll make you more efficient. Yeah. It, you know, you got to get it really into the meat of what does this mean for you? Why would you be interested in even exploring this particular conversation and benefit? Yes. And I think if anyone listening, like if you're, if you're really honest with yourself and you look at these value props, like, are they good enough? And for me, like what I found was like, we can be better, we can be tighter. And I'll be the one to sort of push everyone to say like, how can we make this even more resonating as far as what we think our audience really would like to hear and want to hear. Right. That's just going to better serve you. And I frankly expect a lot of our competitors and our clients competitors to be doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is kind of taking it a little bit more to the creative end of the spectrum, which I've seen a bit of a shift in some of, in some of the more, uh, you might call them more generic B2Bs that, that, that are out there, like not big companies or small, medium companies that typically don't have very exciting creative strategies where all of a sudden I'm starting to see, you know, a kind of like the, one of the ones that, that I follow, um, they kind of want to be known for being very innovative and, and inventive. You know, they claim that they've invented this software and, and they want to be very innovative. So part of their, their creative strategy and social is to attach themselves to big inventions, big accomplishments uh, in the world, right? Like, oh, the yeah. wheel being built is one of them, right? Um, did we invent the wheel? No, we didn't, but we can help you kind of get through this. Um, the Panama Canal, some of these elements, right? And I think that's really interesting when you think of like, let's say that example you gave about attaching your brand to efficiency, right? Maybe it's not through, act, you know, hey, we're going to help you be 15% more efficient. Maybe it's talking about, you know, it's, it's associating their brand with a bunch of things that yeah. are really efficient. But that, that tracks. Right? Like, I, I really like that. Like at some point you're going to have to get into like more specifics about you and, and yeah. And the kinds of like problems you're solving. Yes. But what you're actually talking about is more like bigger picture storytelling, like yes. building a brand around recognized things that made cultural and huge economic impact. Sure. So I actually, I really like that. Now I guess you could be cheesy about it or you could be really tactful and, how you tell that story is really important too. But at, at a high level, I'm like, yeah, that, that tracks. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know if there's other things around the messaging, but certainly one of the things that you've brought up is that, you know, there's a, there's a quality of content. And then what I was bringing up was there's a volume of content, if you want to call it that. Sure. You know, so let's take this, like you've got, a really strong value proposition. It's clear. Mm -hmm. It impacts. It's pretty heavy as a you know punch. Then I think to the the volume play. It's you don't have to go create a dozen white papers on that that theme or or the problem that you're solving. I think though, what you do have to do is take this and say, how do we cut this up and distribute it in more sort of bite sized, digestible ways? Yeah. Do you have like I don't know up to six different video clips? 
of your thought leader, expert, executives talking about this stuff? Do you have um, really quick sort of like case studies or testimonials that can support these things? Mm -hmm. Maybe even quick product videos if that's kind of more in how you sell your products, right? So I think it comes down to like you got to have heavy hitting, hard hitting themes and then a real clear plan from your marketing team is how you're going to distribute those and cut them up. Right. And I think then when you talk about channel, you know, if you say something as, as boring or as old school as say email, right. You could also say direct mail, but let's say email. Well, now you've got high quality content, high, a bang on messaging. I, I, I think, you know, is there a risk that you just get the delete button? Yes. But, but that was always there. Right? You was always there, and you're going to be a lot hot. You're going to be a lot higher above. Like you're going to raise above all that other crap that's out there. You know that the classic right now is the B two B marketer who is probably rolling through some sort of sequence, but it makes it look like they've emailed you four or five times. Putting like the R E. Yeah, R E R E, and then it actually. Look, and then I go back and I actually search my inbox, and like I've never received a, an, an email, or I've searched my trash, mm -hmm. I've never got a, a second email, or you know, another email from this person. So it's like a, some tactic, like oh, you you know, you 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 still need to like let me know, right? garbage whereas you if you bring that up and it's like hey we've got a video it talks about this we've got this stuff you know i think your your likelihood of getting engagement is you know i like that huge. call out for actually two other reasons like one it there's a level of like credibility and trust right and if you're like if you're actually going to go through your inbox and be like well did you email me before and it's not there terrible then you're like well okay like yeah that's that's weird yeah borderline sketchy and so like that's your maybe your first opinion or one of your earlier opinions on this company, like good luck. They're not going to ever sell to you now. Yeah. And I think going back to your story around um, the organization talking about where they're associating themselves with like really big picture things. Mm -hmm. It's about telling this whole cohesive story. So imagine they're the same company. They're not, but yeah. imagine there and you're like, okay, so they sold this big thing. They're highly um, innovative in innovation itself. It's really huge. And then it's like, then you've got this, the salesperson who's kind of making up emails that you didn't actually send to me. Right. So like, you've got to have a cohesive story from brand into individual as part of that sales journey. A hundred percent. And then it goes, I, then I think it goes back to sort of, well, what's the, what's the B2B marketing playbook, you know, for 2024. And I think that you should still have an audience that you've defined. You should, and, and let's call 100%. it, let's call it, you know, all audiences within, you know, an email platform. Um, I, I don't see a problem with rolling people through drip messaging. I think the content strategy that you're bringing up is what's critical. Yep. What I'm saying is that, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting you email people a million times. I think there's a volume of content, particularly around social media, that is really not anywhere close to where it should be with a lot of organizations. And I think part of that is the, the company page. And I think... Another part of it is the senior executives, especially for like growth oriented organizations that, you know, all, they're, they're out there in the marketplace trying, trying to make traction, right? Because everybody's got a, a level of social impact. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. It's no surprise. I mean, I think Goose Digital, let's say its page could be doing a lot more. Like it could be, it could be posting way more video, way more uh, content uh, throughout uh, throughout the week, what is the strategy? What's the quality has to be there? And then us as, as executives, we could be doing way more. Like if we just said we're spending even a half an hour a day 
that's what we're going to do on, you know, cause, cause how many, how many thoughtful posts can you really do in, in a half an hour? Right. Yeah. Probably maybe three, you know, by the time you look at it and understand it and write it and really know, it's not going to be like a dozen, right? But you could like a few things, but like, you know what I mean? say like it has to be, it's, for example, your post, like you're sharing something like, you know, rather significant, like a, a quality post versus contributing to someone else. Well, that, that's what it would be. That would be an exactly. example one. Like I'm going to reply back into somebody's, but I got to think about that reply. I got to do. Right. So there's only so much I can do, but you wonder, you know, if you did that 30 minutes a day, five days a week for a quarter, for a quarter, you know, what kind of, what kind of organic reach would you get as an individual as a, and then back into your organization? So I think this is actually, um, perhaps the next one, this, this would be a podcast in its own. And I think it's, mm -hmm. I've been doing this with one of, um, one of my engagements is exploring the role of brand versus individual and trying to separate and be more deliberate about some of the marketing tactics mm -hmm. we use for each. Okay. Like at some point, if I'm the salesperson, for example, the buyer is going to put trust and belief in me, right? I'm credible. I seem like I know what I'm talking about. Gen generally, like the guy likes me, the buyer likes me and feels like he can have a conversation with me kind of thing, right? But at some point they're gonna say, okay, so we like him. Who does he work for? Like, let's see this, right? Oh, okay, the organization's got a lot of credibility, tons of experience. There's lots of other great people at the org too. Okay, now we're starting to see a cultural fit amongst orgs. Right. So some of the marketing shifts a bit. It's all part of that cohesive story, but how does the brand actually go and tell that story? Like on properties like websites, some social media, right? Yeah. Email. Yeah. But then there, there's still got to be the, the upkeep of the individual that you're buying from. Because people, at the end of the day, buy from people. Right, right. So I, I think that would be a really interesting um, podcast on its own. Yeah. So I think if you're out there and you're looking at, you know, your 2024, and you have a distribution pipeline, you might need agency support to, you know, consistently activate that pipeline. You know, hey, we want to make sure that we've got X, we, X number of things running every single day and week, and we don't have enough internal staff to make sure that happens, right? Okay, good. So we've got our distribution pipeline, you know, getting into strategy sessions around what's the messaging mm -hmm. and then getting into strategy sessions around what's the volume, you know, what do we, where do we think our gaps are? Um, and what can we, and what can we leverage, right? In, in terms of that, like, this podcast is a great example where, you know, you do a couple of these, you get a lot out of it. We've talked mm -hmm. about that before clips, blog posts, social posts, da, 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 da. It's a highly efficient way to generate content, right? Oh, it, it beats anything else. Like we can, and most organizations have people in their, um, in their roster who can talk about their business. But for us to sit here and write like a blog or two, that's like, you know, makes sense and articulate and we're happy with it it's going to take three times as long. Yeah, exactly. So I think those would be the, that'd be the guidance and to really put the value spin on it for me is, um, you know, offer something to, to the world, like offer something to your audience. That's going to help them to, um, help them solve their business problems that your business can also deliver as a service, right? Obviously don't give your, your stuff away entirely for free, but, provide a lot of that for free, a lot of that advice, a lot of that guidance, that should be part of your, your plan so that 
you reach those people and then they share it because it's something that's valuable. And then when they're ready to buy, they'll come to you. Right. So yeah, don't get it and risk them not seeing it. Exactly. That's the biggest risk. Yeah. I'd rather have 10,000 downloads of a PDF and, you know, then, then, then five people or a or hundred people, you know, come in that I'm going to have to hound or a thousand people that we're going to have to hound and send through sales that never, you know, never had a chance to buy. But now of the remaining 9,000 people, 500 actually, come to us, I, right? I would tweak what you said. I'd rather have three people come to me. Yeah. I read this piece. I'd like to talk about it more with you than 500 leads who just downloaded it. Yeah, that we'd have to go chase and follow up. Because it's score. not about how many people read it. It's about how many actually responded to it. Exactly. And they're just cutting out that middleman of, oh, we have 500 leads. Let's figure out which ones are good. Exactly. So, yeah. Okay, that's it. Good stuff. All right. Till next time. Till next time.